Hello, my name is Jim. This is my podcast, The Bloody Vegans. You're very welcome to it. Each week, I'll be travelling ever deeper into the world of veganism, discovering along the way a multitude of viewpoints from the political and ethical to the practical. I'll be doing this through a series of conversations, each aiming to further illuminate my understanding and hopefully yours of all things vegan. And this week is no different. This week I chatted with Dr. Alan Desmond, who is a gastroenterologist, ambassador for Plant-Based Health Professionals UK, and a best-selling author with his wonderful book, The Plant-Based Diet Revolution, 28 Days to a Happier Gut and a Healthier You. And as you can imagine, our conversation centred around all things whole food, plant-based, uh, all things dietary, um, and a little bit about gut health too, just a little touch upon that. Um, we, we talked about all kinds of different things. Um, but Dr. Allen is an amazing resource. If you haven't checked out his work, I thoroughly recommend it. The book's fantastic. Uh, his Instagram is wonderful. There's loads of uh, info that he shares on there on an almost daily basis. Um, and also head to alandesmond.com. You can find out all kinds of bits and pieces there about his work uh, with plant-based health professionals, the book, etc. So um, without further ado, here is a conversation between me and Dr. Alan Desmond. So, Dr. Desmond, it would be great to get started with a little bit of your journey into the world of veganism. What brought you here? Oh, that's a great question to start with, Jim. Um, I'm a gastroenterologist. I'm a gut health expert. And we can go into this in more depth later. But in trying to give my patients evidence-based answers to that ever-present question that patients with digestive health problems ask their doctor, what should I eat? I was very keen to have evidence-based answers to that question. I think a lot of doctors will not be aware of the research. They won't read the research. That's, I get it. We're busy people. We've got a lot, lot of stuff to learn, a lot of science to keep updated on. But for me, I wanted to have an evidence-based answer to that question, just like what mm. medication should I take? What surgery should I have? What procedure should I have? You know, that, those are very important questions. And I, throughout my career, and uh, as well as learning about a million other things, I would read the evidence on what should I eat? So what are the foods that benefit gut health and what are the foods that harm gut health? And every paper you read, every paper I read, every study, intervention, etc., told me, gave me two big messages, Jim, you know. Um, in order to support excellent digestive health and overall health, you need to do two things. You need to unprocess your approach to food and you need mm -hmm. to put plants first. You need to get plant-based sources first. So unprocessed, plant-based, whole food, plant-based. And the more I read about the research on this, the more it became undeniable to me that not only was this a really healthy way for my patients to eat, but it was also the healthiest way for me, my family, my friends, anyone I could discuss this with to eat. Mm -hmm. So in 2016, my wife and I, along with another couple who we're very good friends with, Wade and Leslie, um, who we'd been talking about this with for quite some time, um, decided, well, this is the healthiest way for us to eat too. So we just jumped right in and we said goodbye to meat and dairy. And we really minimized processed foods. And we were off to the races because, you know, uh, now you're 
you have that thing where your own approach to food is uh, in congruence with the medical evidence, also in congruence with the advice that you're giving to patients, et cetera, et cetera. And you're seeing all these benefits in patients. And I must say, I, I don't have a personal health transformation story. That That's not why I recommend a whole food plant-based diet. I just follow the evidence. But yeah, I did notice, you know, anecdotally, I, I had better energy levels, better recovery from exercise. I was enjoying food more, enjoying all the flavors. Um, I lost a little bit of excess body weight that I was carrying. And, you know, suddenly I was like, hey, all, all those studies that I've been talking to people about, and <laughs> talking about publicly and seeing my <laughs> patients benefiting from, yeah, it's, um, it's true because anyone, even if you think you're really healthy, and I've been involved in various projects that have shown this to be tr true in a very scientific way, you know, if you are eating a omnivorous diet and you think that you are healthy, that's cool. You probably are pretty healthy. But I think most people overestimate how healthy they are. I probably do it too. And what I found was that when I made the switch to a plant-based diet, I personally, I moved into a healthier body mass index. Um, my, my cholesterol, which was already a healthy number, became an even healthier number. My digestive health, which was already pretty good, became even healthier. So again, I don't have a personal transformation journey, but that's the road that I took um, to a embracing, eating, promoting, writing about and talking <laughs> about a healthy whole food plant-based approach to food. I've, I'm always fascinated when I speak to people in the medical profession, doctors like yourself, um, to ask about your, your training uh, mm -hmm. and the role that kind of nutrition played in that training? Yeah, so I went to medical school between 1995 and 2001. Um, and in medical school, you've got a lot of stuff to learn, uh, a whole lot of stuff to learn. It takes six years. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very intense, okay? Um, and whenever I watch, you know, movies or TV shows portraying what it's like to be a med student, and it, 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 to be fair, they're usually pretty accurate. Even Scrubs, that TV show, had a lot of truth in it, you know. Um, but you've got a lot of stuff to learn, Jim, you know. And nutrition does feature. Mm. But, of course, back then and to an extent now, the training that you got in nutrition was really learning about the organic chemistry, the amino acids, the lipids, the carbohydrates, what those do in your body, how they work in your body, what vitamin D does, what B12 does, what folate, what riboflavin, what magnesium does, the importance of all of these important nutrients that we get from food. And you learn what happens when people are very deficient in those various foods. And, right. but, and you, know, you learn about old-fashioned uh, diseases of deficiency, like rickets and protein malabsorption, etc. Which in practice, we only see in the hospital in gastroenterology patients who are desperately unwell, who have, very, you know, have diseases that have really sadly uh, made it impossible for them to enjoy food and digest food. Mm -hmm. But in the general population, those actual nutrient deficiencies aren't um, that common. So we certainly spent a long time in medical school learning about nutrients and nutrition and also learning about epidemiology and public health and how to read scientific papers mm. and how to write scientific papers. I've co-authored maybe 14 scientific papers um, in the last decade. But in terms of learning about the food that our patients should be putting on their plate to prevent things like heart disease and obesity and type 2 diabetes and colon cancer and Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis and diverticular disease and precancerous bowel polyps, etc. The, the education on that was definitely lacking. 
and also the mm. education on how to help patients affect healthy change in their life was definitely lacking. But I'm delighted that that's changing, Jim. Um, it is changing. And mm. in the UK now, um, nutrition, and when we say nutrition, I'm talking specifically about food, um, is now on the curriculum for medical schools. Right. So medical schools will now have to incorporate into their medical curriculum 14 competencies on the importance of food for health. And, you know, we're seeing things like a, a friend of mine, a colleague, a plant-based health professionals UK, um, is now, has now been invited to travel to medical schools in the UK and do healthy cooking classes, you know, plant-based cooking classes um, for medical students. And I've been delighted over the years to be invited to many medical schools um, to talk and talk about this stuff because people want to hear about it. And the, the universities and the medical schools are reacting to this, both on a, from a health perspective, but also from an environmental perspective, you know, which, which for me are inseparable. So the training that we got was lacking. But of course, then, uh, I mean, I didn't learn how to do colonoscopies at medical school either. <laughs> but I do hundreds of colonoscopies every year. And, you know, I'm very proficient at that skill. Um, neurosurgeons don't learn how to do brain surgery at medical school, yet they become brain surgeons. So the nice thing about being a doctor is that your education never ends. It's, it's an ongoing, yeah. you're a student forever. And I think it's behoven on each of us as doctors to be familiar with the medical evidence so we can give our patients the very best advice. And as a gastroenterologist, as I told you, said before, my patients always ask about food. What should I eat, doctor? Mm. And I view it as uh, essential as a gastroenterologist to be able to answer that question with confidence. Can you remember there being like a, a, a moment of clarity where you put those two, two things together and said, actually, I need to be able to answer that question beyond, um, well, don't worry too much about that. Just take X, Y or Z uh, medication. Um, was there a particular moment that stood out for you that said, actually, I'm going to set myself on a kind of lifelong journey of learning nutritionally? Yeah, there's been a few kind of... Uh, aha moments or key moments along the pathway, okay, um, rather than just one sudden, you know, Damascene moment, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's been a series of events really over the years. I mean, I went into medical school in 95, graduated in 2001, and about 2004, as a relatively recently qualified doctor, I was doing that thing, I was working at the hospital doing 80 to 100 hours a week, night shifts, 36 hour shifts, no sleep, bleep going the whole time, living in the hospital, all that kind of thing. And during that period in your training, you go through different specialties. You, so I worked in orthopedics, urology, care of the elderly, uh, transplant unit. You know, you, you go and you work mm -hmm. in all these different environments. You meet different types of patients with different illnesses. But about 2004, I did my first ever rotation on the GI ward, gastroenterology ward. And so I walk onto the GI unit and I noticed a few things. Um, number one, super busy. Um, when gut health goes wrong, people get very sick. Uh, number two, uh, there was quite a lot of young people there. And I think when you're a doctor in your early 20s, you get quite used in the hospital to seeing people that you regard as older, okay? Mm -hmm. People in their 50s, which I'm in my mid-40s now, so I'm not too far off that, but people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and you kind of get used to it and you go, yeah, that's 
that's what it's supposed to be like in the hospital because when we get old, we get things like heart disease and colon cancer and strokes and all that. Uh, you know, that doesn't need to be the case. But at that time, you think, well, that's normal. Yeah, we find a lot of older folks at the hospital. But on the gastroenterology ward, I saw these young people who were my age or younger and they looked healthy on the outside. But inside, their digestive systems were very, very inflamed. Their guts were on fire, if you want to use that phrase. And these were young people who were affected by diseases called Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. So these are the inflammatory bowel diseases, IBD. They've become increasingly common in high-income countries where our diet is built around, you know, meat and dairy and highly processed foods, Mm. plant deficient, right? Um, And these young people should have been at home or in university or in their first job or at home with their young family or starting a family. But instead, they're in hospital. And it was my job as a young doctor um, to prescribe and administer um, immune suppressing drugs to calm down the inflammation in their bowel. And there was one young man, first presentation with this condition called Crohn's disease. He had abdominal pain, diarrhea. There was a chance he was going to need surgery. And we'd had him on high dose of steroid immune suppression for a few days. Um, the numbers were getting better. He was feeling better. We were planning to start a new immune suppressing drug the following day. And I just remember on the ward round, so I'm there at my boss. And so I tell my boss all the news, blood's getting better. We begin the treatment. We go in to talk to the young man. He's probably in his early 20s. And his mother is there to support him. And he says, oh, you know, my appetite's coming back. What should I eat? And he literally said, are there any foods I should be eating? Anything I should be dodging? And his mom and he turned to us, the medical team. I mean, I'm the most junior guy on the team. It's not my job to answer this question. And my boss says, it doesn't matter. Eat whatever you like. You know, do you like McDonald's? You know, we need to get some calories into you. We need to, we need to build you up a little bit. And I was surprised to hear that. The patient was surprised to hear that. His mom was surprised to hear that. But I think at that point, I didn't know any better, okay? I thought, okay, well, the boss is saying that's probably right. But over the years, as I went, you know, so that was a moment. So patients are asking about food. And then I realized that every patient with a gut health problem, heartburn, you know, the, the diseases that are so common in, in high-income countries, these digestive problems, asks the same thing. What should I do with food? Any foods I should be avoid, avoid or include? And just within a year or two of that conversation, because I started looking for the answers, there was a paper published out of the UK. I think it was in the British Medical Journal. And it showed that if you had IBD, your diet did matter in terms of how likely you were to get a flare. And the people who ate meat and drank alcohol were more likely to end up in hospital with a flare. And that was the first, and there was an editorial in the British Medical Journal that time said, I I think the title was Ulcerative Colitis, Time to Ditch the Meat, question mark. And that was the first time I read a paper that was giving me an evidence-based answer that I would give to my patients. So even as a young doctor, if people asked me that, they had ulcerative colitis, I'd say, yeah, you want to ditch meat, cut down on meat and avoid alcohol. Okay, and that kind of led me down this other part of medical research where you could seek out more papers and that started the journey for me. Okay, I think another kind of aha moment for me was in 2019. So now we've jumped forward 15 years and I'm a practicing gastroenterologist and I'm talking to my patients about a healthy whole food plant-based diet and they're seeing the benefits. And I guess that's another aha moment when I start seeing patients, you know, early in my career as a gastroenterologist who changes their approach to food and they're coming back to me and they're healthier 
and they're better and they're requiring fewer medications and their bowel habits have improved. How have they done it? They've moved over to a whole food plant-based diet or predominantly plant-based diet. They've cut way down or cut out the animal products, said goodbye to dairy, and they're leaning on what I always refer to as the healthiest vegan foods in the world, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, beans, these leafy greens. So these are the foods that have been in our, in our supermarkets and markets for millennia, the only foods that are consistently shown to benefit human health and gut health, okay? So health, and they're all vegan, they're all plant-based, and they're all there for the taking, right? So patients are coming back to me with these incredible benefits that, I, and I still have my prescription pad, Jim, but the patients are coming back to me with better gut health and also better overall health, right? Mm. And when you get the chance to restore someone's digestive health, whether it's through medication or dietary change or both, you can see remarkable transformations. So there was one young lady at my clinic and coming back, and I'll, there's been so many, but I'll just give you one example. Okay, so a young woman um, who comes to me, she's got ulcerative colitis. Um, she's had the disease for a number of years. Um, she's, she's seen me for the first time. She's in pregnancy. It's her first pregnancy. Right. She's developed gestational diabetes during her pregnancy. So her often in pregnancy underlying insulin resistance will be magnified. Um, so for the first time in her life, she's having to check her blood sugars every day, little pinprick. Um, she's having to take insulin. Not only that, her ulcerative colitis, her inflammatory bowel disease has flared up during her pregnancy. So she's now been given steroid medication to immune suppress, to push down the inflammation. The steroid medication is, are make, is making her insulin resistance worse, so she's requiring more insulin. She's in you know, the third stage of her pregnancy, third trimester, and she's worried about every, you know, this is a really difficult situation to be in for a patient. So she comes in to see me, um, and she's been seeing the nurses for a little bit. She's worried about what the next few weeks hold. And I'd said to her, look, I think we should get you started on another immune suppressant um, called uh, infliximab, just one of our uh, amazing technologies that we have, okay, really good drug. And that will help to get you into remission, so the remainder of your pregnancy will be healthy, and you can eat, and you can, okay. So she asks me, what about food? Because every patient does, Jim. She says, what about food? Mm. So I started talking to her, as I always do with my patients, you know, well, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, avoiding dairy. Um, uh, can you cut down on meat? And she says to me, well, what if I go completely plant-based? And I said, well, a whole food plant-based diet is a great approach to support gut health. So we agreed we would give it two weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay, I said, look, this is a very important time for your health. Come back in two weeks. If you're not feeling substantially better, we'll get on with the escalating your medical treatment, getting you on the immune suppressant. So two weeks later, she comes back in to see me at clinic. She's smiling. Her husband is smiling. And they're great. And she says, well, I feel great. I've, I've never felt better. In fact, my digestive health is fantastic. She was eating a healthy whole food plant-based diet. She'd gotten some recipe books. I think she'd gotten um, Bosch Healthy Vegan, I think was the mm. book that she'd gotten. Okay. She'd been looking at recipes online from my friends, The Happy Pear, and she'd been looking online for other recipes. So she was eating what anyone would recognize as a healthy whole food plant-based diet, and her digestive health was massively improved. 
okay? So throughout the remainder of her pregnancy, we didn't have to escalate the medication. We were able to reduce, 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 reduce. And she went through the rest of her completed successful pregnancy without needing to up her medication, okay? So then I don't see her for two years. Um, she's just seen the nurses. So she comes back two years later and she's pregnant again. She's in her second trimester. So she's been booked in for a consultant review to make sure that everything from her digestive health is good. So she comes in to see me and she said, well, it's been a couple of years. Fantastic. I said, well, congratulations on your pregnancy. How's everything going with your bowel? She said, look, my, my colitis has been so much better since I made the change, okay? My husband is on it, I'm on it. The kid, you know, my, my, the kids in my family, my, my cousins, brothers, sisters, whatever. <laughs> I'm talking to everyone about this thing now, okay? Fantastic, okay? She, so her bowel health is better, her gut health is better, number one. Number two, um, she's really well. She's, she's lost some excess body fat. She's exercising regularly. She's returned to running and marathoning and all that kind of thing. Fantastic. Number three, she is in her second pregnancy now. And because she had gestational diabetes during her first pregnancy, we know that most women in that situation will develop diabetes again during their second pregnancy, okay? Because of the underlying insulin resistance. But after, in her second pregnancy, she was booked into the high-risk clinic and she would come every week and they check her blood sugars. But after a few weeks, they said, you don't need to come anymore because you don't have gestational diabetes this time around. Why? because she's eating a healthy, high-fiber, plant-based diet without, without all the saturated fat and cholesterol and without all the animal protein that she used to eat. So now she's having a successful second pregnancy without gestational diabetes, without having to check her blood sugars and take insulin, without having to increase her medications, okay? So as she leaves the room, you know, first of all, great consult, lovely to see you, you know, keep it up. I'll, you know, I'll see it again later in your pregnancy. If, if, everything's, if things are going well, we'll use the medication, you know. Um, but as she's leaving, she said, oh, by the way, doc, um, we just picked up a copy of your book and we're doing the quinoa chili tonight and I'm really looking forward <laughs> to it. I said, oh, thanks. It's really, I appreciate that. And that evening, I'm making dinner at home and I'm in the kitchen with my wife and I'm telling her that nice story about this lady. And I, I said, and she said, yeah, I'm really looking forward to trying the uh, quinoa chili. And it struck me that no patient has ever said to me, hey, doc, I just picked up a prescription for that new immune suppressant you prescribed me. <laughs> I'm trying it tonight for the first time and I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that immune suppressants are, 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 are bad. I mean, God knows, you know, the, the medications we have now are incredible. Okay. Mm. But in many ways, those medications disempower our patients and make them feel incomplete, make them feel worried about the future, worried about side effects, et cetera. Right. But when I see patients, and there's been many, many more like this young woman whose gut health is restored, whose over health is restored, every time that happens, Jim, that's an aha moment. Okay. Mm. And I'm going to give you one more because this is a big like a big day for me as a gastroenterologist, was back in 2019. So this is before the pandemic. Um, the report was published by the Eat Lancet Commission. So the Eat Lancet Commission, the Lancet, is one of uh, the world's leading medical journals, most prestigious medical journals. I mean, if you get published in the Lancet, you're, you're, you're killing it in research, okay? You're doing really high quality <laughs> medical research if you get published in the Lancet. And every now and then, the Lancet will set up a commission 
to answer a very difficult and important question in medicine or public health. And the question that they set about answering um, a few years ago, just before the pandemic, was what food system, what sort of food should people eat globally in every country in the world to be really healthy? So they took a hand-picked panel of about 38 experts from places like Harvard and UCL and Oxford and Cambridge and, um, you know, uh, well-respected academics and experts in the field. And they asked those academics to look at decades of evidence on food and human health and to answer the same question, Jim, that my patients ask me every day. What should I eat? But they weren't just asking that for me or my patient or you. They were asking that question for everybody on earth, including mm. the, you know, maybe 800 million people who live with food insecurity and food poverty and they don't get enough food of any description including the some three and a half billion people who are suffering um, the ill effects of another form of malnutrition, that is excess intake of food, particularly excess intake of foods that are not healthy for you, okay? The, the, mm. the, you know, the animal products and the highly processed foods and the added sugars, etc. And they had to look at all the evidence and come back with a blueprint. They published a extensive, uh, lengthy medical report in The Lancet, uh, which is called Food in the Anthropocene Era, that is the human era, um, what should people eat? They published the Eat Lancet report, the Eat Lancet summary. They published it in multiple languages and they uh, published toolkits, etc., um, so that governments could, could begin implementing this food change. And when it came to this question of what should I eat, what should you eat, what should we eat, they very clearly described exactly the same dietary pattern that I've been recommending to my patients uh, to protect and improve their digestive health for years, an unprocessed, plant-based, plant-predominant approach to food, where about half the food in your shopping basket is fruits and vegetables, about a third or more is made up of healthy whole grains, and the remainder is made up by high-protein plant foods like beans and legumes with small amounts of healthy polyunsaturated oils coming from plants and where animal products are consumed very sparingly, if at all, and are viewed as optional. And when it came to mm. including animal products in your diet, they were very clear. Their safe level of consumption um, is very, very low. So for maybe an ounce of chicken or fish each day, um, maybe half an egg per day, um, or when it comes to processed meat like bacon and sausages, none, zero. Mm -hmm. No dietary guideline is recommending that you consume those foods at all, okay? Uh, when it comes to red meat, they said, look, the safe level of consumption is about seven to 14 grams per day. A very, very small amount indeed, but they were very clear in the body of their lengthy scientific report. They said the safest amount of red meat to consume is probably zero, especially if it is replaced by healthy plant-based sources of protein. And they used the phrase whole food plant-based throughout the report. And this is a great way to eat to support your gut microbiome, your gut health, your overall health, planetary health. And, you know, we're, we're in a very strange position here in the, you know, 21st century where we are handing over a planet to our children. You know, our, in, in 
in countries like the UK and the US right now, in Ireland, high income countries, this is the first time that in a long, long time where we have been handing our children a future where their life expectancy and their health expectancy is lower than ours because chronic diseases like heart disease, obesity, type 2 diabetes, colorectal cancer, diverticular disease are creeping up year on year. And we're seeing these problems in younger and younger people. And we're also handing them a planet that is in a climate crisis. And it just, I mean, it just seems to me that there is so much logic and mm. beauty and science to support the fact that if we build our plate from, and I'll say it again, the healthiest foods in the world, these healthy vegan delights, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, extra virgin olive oil, all these plant-derived foods, um, we can help to solve all of these problems. You know, so, so the publication of the Eat Lancet report for me was another aha moment. So that's moments yeah. in the clinic, on the ward, and then from 20,000 feet, you know, it's like, aha, it, it, it's, yeah. all, it's all congruent. I'm. I've got a question for you because I'm. I'm. I'm kind of fascinated by this. Whenever again, whenever I speak to anybody in the medical profession, I kind of feel obliged to ask this because I'm. I'm always interested. There are. There is a, a seeming rise in plant-based diets in veganism. Mm. We're seeing products left and right, and I say products like specifically here. Mm. Is is there a danger that as we we put more of these kind of alternatives on the shelves, like meat alternatives and processed vegan uh, mm. foods, and we label them as plant-based, and everyone's got this association in their mind, I think, in the I say everyone, but there, there is a growing association in the mainstream that vegan or plant-based equals healthy. And yeah. so yeah. folks picking up these products, are they, are they actually, are we actually storing up another problem if we go down, too far down that road? No, it's a really good question. I mean, I always say to people, look, you know, it's making healthy food choices isn't just about labeling yourself as vegan or plant-based, okay? It's about choosing to build all of your meals or most of them from the foods that are consistently shown to benefit human health. Fruit, vegetables, whole grains, beans, legumes, peas, lentils, chickpeas, nuts, seeds, and maybe a little extra virgin olive oil or probably some extra virgin olive oil. But it is true um, that whatever country you study, the people with the healthiest dietary intakes overall tend to be the people who have decided to label themselves or their approach to food as vegan or plant-based, okay? Mm -hmm. And studies have shown us that even in high-income countries right now, vegans may be up to 32 times more likely to have really healthy dietary intakes. So I posted about this on Instagram mm -hmm. just yesterday, okay? Eating only plants means that you are correcting the common dietary deficiencies that are the main drivers of poor health and chronic disease. You're eating more, and the studies tell us this over and over again, you're eating more folate, fiber, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, thiamine, riboflavin, more healthy oils, more copper, magnesium, and more iron than your neighbors who consume meat and dairy. So there's that, okay? So eating a, uh, so that's how, when I promote a healthier approach to food and in my book and everything I post, I, I put the emphasis equally on whole food, plant-based. Mm. Okay, so in the last few years, um, we've seen the, the rise of the uh, Beyond Burger, uh, the vegan sausage roll, 
the vegan pepperoni pizza, and all of these options, you know, the vegan chicken and all that sort of stuff. Now, those foods definitely tick the boxes if your motivation for making a dietary change is animal welfare, if your motivation is planetary health and environmental impact, you're winning, absolutely winning, okay? But in the UK, in the US, we love junk food. We love highly processed food. And it's not just that we love it, Jim, and you know, I don't wanna be placing the blame at anyone's doorstep here. This isn't about individuals, but the food system, mm. okay? So highly processed convenience foods are marketed to us, they're engineered to be irresistible to our primitive monkey brains that love getting the sugar and the fat and the calories, and they are engineered to be addictive, okay? Mm. We call junk food, junk food for a reason. It's junk food, it's junk. Mm. Really, when it comes to your gut health and your overall health, junk foods don't do your gut health any favor. And when we look at our gut health and our gut microbial health, you know, additives like maltodextrin, uh, which is an artificial carbohydrate made in the lab and added to foods. When we look at things like polysorbate 80, carboxymethylcellulose, carrageenan, artificial emulsifiers, soya lecithin, we definitely want to minimize our intakes of these things. So if you are at the supermarket or at the shop and you're picking up something that has a big long list of ingredients, you just need to be aware that it may not be a healthy choice for you. I mean, if you want to, ha if you want to have that as a little something you have a couple of times a week or now and then, if you eat a vegan diet, you think, okay, it's the weekend. I think I'm going to go and get a Mac plant burger today. Uh, you know, I just can't be bothered cooking. That's an occasional thing. Okay, that's fine. You're probably not going to suffer any damage. But the, the, the sad fact is that one of the main drivers of, of gut health issues uh, is not just a deficiency of plants or an excess of animal products. It's also the fact that in the UK, you know, up to 60% of calories come from ultra-processed junk foods. Um, for 20% of people, they're getting 80% of the calories from ultra-processed junk foods. And there's very, you know, uh, there are some studies showing that yes, um, vegans who eat junk food on many measures are healthier than omnivores who eat junk food. Okay, the more plant-based your diet, generally the healthier you are. We saw um, the uh, big study published earlier this year from the uh, Million Veterans Prospective Study in the US, uh, where they followed, I think, like 600,000 veterans for about 15 years. Uh, don't, I'll, have to, I'll have to look up that paper, I'm sorry, this is from <laughs> memory. But they showed that the more, you know, the people who are eating the most plant-based, had the highest plant-based dietary index on their food. Um, over that period of time, these older adults, they were, I think about 20 odd percent more likely to still be alive at the end of the study with lower rates of heart disease and lower rates of cancers. But really the benefit, the real benefit was the people who were in the top 10% for healthy plant-based dietary intakes. So with the highest intakes of fiber, the highest intakes of mildly processed plants who were I think almost 40% uh, less likely to have died during the study follow-up. And the same thing goes for gut health. Um, so I'm just, I'm just worried that in, you know, there's so much evidence, Jim, showing that a healthy whole food plant-based diet ticks all the right boxes for health and longevity. And I just worry that in 20 years, people will be able to st stand up and say, you know, in 
2020 and 2019, all the dietary guidelines started minimizing meat and removing dairy. And here we are in 2040 and nothing got better. And it'll be because the change was taken over by the food industry who are much more, who have no interest in human health. They're, they're, they're motivated by their bottom line and that the, we'll still be getting 60% of our calories from ultra processed foods, but it'll be vegan pepperoni and vegan mm. pizza and vegan ice cream. Um, so it's a concern, but it's definitely moving the right direction. I would view those foods as helpful when you're making the transition because often those foods will replicate the mouth feel and the culinary experience that you had when you were eating animal products. Um, and certainly my kids, my, my kids are age six, nine and 11. And we feed them, you know, three bean chili with whole grain wraps, hummus, miso soup with whole grain noodles. These are all mainstays on our menu, okay? Mashed potatoes with the skin on, gravy that is actually vegetable soup disguised as gravy, you know, so, you know, but my kids had Mac plant burgers this weekend, you know, because they'd been swimming, they were out with friends, and they wanted to have that experience with their friends. So I, I can't, you know, there's, as I often say, you know, there's no such thing as dietary perfection. There's just progress. So, you know. It'd be great to talk about your book. It's been over a year now since it was published. Yeah, I think it was it, January it, it, 21. It, yeah, it came out in January 21. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's January 21. Is that right? Time flies. Yeah, January 21. <laughs> I'd love to hear about the kind of the, the genesis of it and why why you felt that a book was the place that we needed to get this information in and what what purpose it serves for folks who haven't perhaps picked up a copy yet. Oh, thanks for asking. Um, so the book, The Plant Based Diet Revolution: Twenty Eight Days to a Happier Gut and a Healthier You. Um, it you know I've been doing quite a lot of public speaking and podcasting, etc. And I was approached by a publisher um, a few years ago, and they said, "Hey, you should do a book." And I thought, "Oh man, I love." cookbooks. I absolutely adore cookbooks. <laughs> and I would love to have a science-based cookbook. And they were very generous. Um, I eventually ended up going with uh, Yellow Kite Books. Um, and they were very generous. They said, what kind of book do you want to do? And I said, I want to do a nice, easy, friendly, plant-based cookbook that is exclusively plant-based, whole foods, but also explains to people um, about the importance of digestive health, the importance of gut health, and eventually framed it in the book as healthy body, healthy heart, healthy mind, and healthy gut. So just covering those four main aspects of human health, but also, Jim, as well as the science to have these beautiful plant-based recipes, <laughs> uh, which is so important because whenever I speak at events about the importance of a plant-based diet for gut health and overall health, I always want people to have the food to go with it, right? Because then it becomes real. Uh, you know, you can stand up in front of an audience and speak for an hour and a half on the gut microbial benefits of an unprocessed plant-based diet. But then if you don't give people the food to enjoy, they leave feeling, oh, that was interesting. Oh, well, I'll just continue what I'm doing. You got to make the experience real for them. Um, so I was very proud to release the book two years ago. Um, it has about 80 delicious plant-based recipes that we still cook all the time here at home. Um, it's wonderful now that my patients have the ability to pick up the book. So it saves us a lot of time in the consulting room, which is wonderful. 
And it's been, it's been it's such a journey, you know, because I was also careful in that book to, and I worked with a wonderful chef called Bob Andrews, who's been a friend of mine for years. Uh, Bob Andrews, incredibly experienced guy who was able to take our kind of home cooking and elevate it to the level of recipes and make it practical. And we were able to put like a 28-day eating plan, shopping lists, but also covering all those questions that people have about soy and calcium and will mm. I get enough protein? And, you know, can I be healthy without dairy? So included all of those in there as well, so people would have that support and they could answer all those questions that are commonly asked. But it's been wonderful, man. It, it, it's done great. It's, it's out there in the world. And because I'm on social media, um, the day after it was published, I was immediately inundated with messages from people telling me how much they were already enjoying the recipes. And it's still happening now. It's still happening now. Over a year and a half later, I constantly get messages from people saying, thank you so much. Your book's been an amazing tool for me. Um, and it's really helped people out, helped them to understand the importance of gut health. But look, if you're listening to this, you don't need to buy a copy of my book. You can just go, and you, if you, I presume most of your listeners are already on a plant-based journey. Um, but I guess what you can benefit from, and really that I would remind you, is why not set yourself a 28-day challenge where you are going to get back to basics and you are going to eat a healthy whole food plant-based diet for those 28 days. So you are going to eat recipes that are made of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes and nuts and seeds. You're going to get into cooking again. You're going to get all the um, storage containers lined up in your fridge. You're going to do the batch cooking on the weekend and you're going to get right back to basics because I think what a lot of people have told me who've enjoyed the book and the 28-day challenge in the book, who've already been eating a plant-based diet, is it's, it's gotten them back to that. And, they've re and it's reminded them of how amazingly healthy you feel when you're building all of your meals from these really healthy, minimally processed vegan foods. And, but you don't need to buy my book for that. You, you, there's, there's tons of wonderful cookbooks out there filled with those lovely recipes, and you can just make your own little plan for 28 days. Dr. Desmond, I am super inspired. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've been, I've been a vegan for five and a bit years um, and, and probably started off very strongly. And, and that back to basics message really resonates with me. I can think there's probably a little bit of a tipping of the balance in terms of some of those process things that snuck in over the course of time. And a, and a reset, I think, is exactly what I need. And uh, I imagine many others will too. So I really appreciate your time. Where would folks go to find out a little bit more about you and maybe pick up a copy of the book and so on? Yeah, the best place to go to find me, Jim, is on Instagram. If you just search on Instagram for Alan Desmond, you'll see my little face pop up there. Um, it's this face wearing blue scrubs and there's a little blue check there so you know it's me. And uh, yeah, connect with me there. That's the best place to find me. Thank you so much. It's been a, been a pleasure. I appreciate, uh, appreciate your time. Cheers, Jim. Thanks for having me on.